Uh, my name is Matt. Uh, it's great to be with you. We are on our second week of the series, um, Deeper, and we're going to jump right in here. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 12. So last week we talked about looking beneath the surface in our lives, this idea that our, our spiritual health is never going to outpace our emotional health. Those two things are linked. And when it comes to our emotions, we really can't, well, we can, but we shouldn't, uh, deny them, detach, try to escape, avoid, all that stuff, um, that we have to learn, like Jesus, to give God our emotions, our desires, and to allow him to meet us in those. Um, this week, we're going to talk about brokenness and vulnerability. Sign me up. Uh, <laughs> And I, I want to give you a heads up, we're going to move into a time of communion at the end, I'll explain that um, when we get there. But I really just want to look at some scriptures here uh, for a bit and, and really try to just create some space here at the end um, in communion to, to meet together with Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited... And just pause here, because right before this, Paul has just got done talking about this pretty unreal like, vision that he's had. And so he's, he's basically acknowledging, because he's had some unique encounters with God, kind of some special things, because God has used him significantly to do all this important work, he basically realizes that left to his own devices, he could kind of fall into thinking he was pretty big stuff. He's aware that he has this potential within to, to be prideful and kind of look at me and to basically start reading his own press. But that's not what happens. In fact, just the opposite. And, and Paul explains, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Uh, scholars kind of debate endlessly here on what the thorn is. Many think that it's a, a physical ailment or illness. Uh, perhaps his eyesight is failing. That's one leading theory. There are allusions in other, other letters uh, to that, to some other sickness perhaps. Um, I will say if, if Paul's thorn here is, is a humbling physical condition, um, I can kind of relate to that a little bit, and I try not to complain about this. Uh, but as some of you know, for the last three years or so, I've had this mysterious hand problem in my left hand, and my hand is like, is, it is wasting away. Uh, it's atrophying, and um, I have a lot of weakness in that hand, and I'm left-handed, so my dominant hand, and it affects almost everything I do. Um, sometimes I have to ask for help to do the most basic thing. I could like I could struggle to button this button for 20 minutes and maybe get lucky or like, can you please button this for me? And it's so humbling to have to depend on others uh, in ways I, I haven't, I've never had to. And I've been to a bunch of specialists and neurologists and surgeons and no one can figure it out. So there's that annoyance. And then though, maybe even worse, it's like for me emotionally, I feel self-conscious about it. I feel... Um, I, I, this is probably made, this is made worse by the handful of times uh, that I have, I'll show somebody, and a couple times people have like recoiled and gone, ew, and like, I can hear you, I'm right here, 
That has not been most people's response, but that is, it sticks with you. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is I, there's part of me that feels less than whole physically. And again, self-conscious, weak, kind of embarrassed, or I, I don't know. And I've definitely been like, uh, God, God, would you please take this away? So again, maybe for Paul, it's something physical um, that's humbling. Other people suggest it's not physical, it's, it's, it's an internal struggle that he's dealing with pride, or there's you know, people out there that are more gifted than him, and it just kind of torments him. Um, he's aware of what he doesn't have or makes him feel insecure. But whatever this thorn is, it is some acute sense of weakness that Paul doesn't want. Verse 9, but he, God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, I want you to think about, for a moment, who, who's saying this. Um, you, could, you could make the case that in terms of, in terms of like direct, immediate impact, that Paul was actually more influential like in his life than, than even Jesus. He's planting churches all over the Mediterranean. He's been incredibly successful. He's opened up the gospel to the Gentiles, which is, it affects us to this day. Um, he's been extremely successful. He has all this gifting. He has all this favor. But Paul says, I have this thing in my life that continues to make me feel really weak, something I don't want. In fact, I've prayed multiple times for God to take it away, and God says, no, I'm not going to remove that. In other words, God's saying to him, there's something about this experience, this pain, that's going to force you to depend on me. It's going to cause you to seek me with more urgency, to depend on me in a deeper way. And so Paul says there's something about weakness that reveals the strength, the, the presence, uh, the power of God more than in our strengths. And so therefore, I will delight in my weakness. Is that what you wake up saying? <laughs> Why? Because when I'm weak, Paul says, I'm strong. So scripture indicates, and this comes up again and again, that the way that we reveal life with God to the world is actually not when we're strong, comfortable, safe, secure, in control, and feeling great. But when we're weak, when we're broken, that somehow in the grace and the kindness of God, this is how he is revealed to the world. And so the Bible is full of leaders. It's full of individuals who are insecure, who make mistakes, who have all kinds of internal, external struggles. I mean, you read through scripture, you actually have a hard time finding anybody who at some point doesn't just go, I confess, I'm a mess. I'm not doing very well. But God comes along and says, this is the kind of thing I can work with. This is actually something that I can use. You guys, it is so funny to me sometimes that I'm doing pastoral ministry. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, what it's like to stand up here and to, to speak to people as if 
you're speaking for God? That's hilarious. Uh, I mean, there has, to be, there has to be something wrong with you, right, to want to do something like that. And so I, I think about my issues, and yet uh, every week, somehow this is something that like, I'm, I feel like I'm supposed to do. I think the great lie that persists in all of our minds is if they really knew, if they really knew who I was, they, they wouldn't want to connect with me. They, I wouldn't have anything to offer. And Paul's very simple answer to that is God does know. He actually does. And it's in your weakness that you're made strong. Jesus says something really similar to this. Um, in fact, this is how Jesus starts his Sermon on the Mount. You could argue it's the theme of the whole thing and quite possibly the, the, the theme of the whole gospel itself. Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus says there is good news for those who are spiritually destitute and bankrupt. Uh, perhaps the best translation, because we don't, we don't usually use this word blessed in the same way, but uh, the best translation for this word blessed is the word flourishing. Can you believe Jesus says that? Blessed, flourishing are the spiritual dropouts and misfits and repeat offenders. Uh, blessed are those who've tried again and again and come up short uh, and then run out of excuses. Blessed are those who can't seem to get their lives together, who, who just admit their brokenness and weakness. Why? Because Jesus says, because they uniquely recognize their need for God and, and then they reach out to him. Because they reach out, he responds by giving the riches of his kingdom, by reviving their hearts. This is the heart of the gospel. Uh, and in fact, it's the only way to life with God. Here's the problem. I'm not sure we believe that any of this is actually true. I mean, I, I, we might give like a, mm, mm, like the pious because you're supposed to or something. I'm not sure if we actually believe any of this. There's something in me, if I'm honest, I just go, yeah, right. Yeah, right. That, you know who this is good for? You know who this works really well for? Uh, monks who don't live in the real world. That would be one category. You know who this is especially helpful for? People um, who don't have any friends and have low social skills and are basically, they're pathetic and they don't have any other options. This is a good safety net for them. Does anyone actually believe this? I'll tell you who flourishes. I'll tell you exactly who flourishes. Uh, morning people. <laughs> people who get up and exercise in the morning while it's still dark out. Uh, successful, talented people. People who more or less have it together. Blessed are the broken. Blessed are the spiritual zeros. Come on. Now, how about blessed are the resilient, blessed are the capable, people with charisma, blessed are those who seize every opportunity, blessed are those who, at the very least, fake it till they make it. See, the problem with this is we have been taught to measure strength in terms of power. Even in the church, uh, we often have the, the exact same definition of success as the rest of the world. 
which means we like confident, self-assured leaders. We love to celebrate the winners, which is the exact opposite of what Jesus is doing. Paul says, when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. Who talks like that? I mean, you think about if we actually did this. This would be a horrible way to win your next argument. It probably wouldn't go so great for you in the job interview if you took this approach. No, I want to say, Paul, when you're weak, you're weak. And you need to do something about that. And you need to get to work shoring up those weaknesses. You certainly don't delight in them. You definitely don't broadcast your weakness to the people around you. And Paul just keeps, again and again, he repeats this theme. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. It's almost like Paul believes that when Jesus says that the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom. That the way God operates is directly upside down from the way the world works. In Paul's first letter, this is the second, in his first letter to the Corinthians, one of the issues that he has to address, and one of the reasons he's writing, um, is apparently between the time he had visited and and the time that passed, some other quote-unquote apostles had showed up in the city of Corinth. And they were doing signs and wonders, I guess, that surpassed what Paul had done. That these other apostles, they spoke of these revelations, they spoke of these experiences that they had with God that made Paul's look ordinary. They, They showed up with these extraordinary speaking gifts. So they were showing him up. And they claimed this special, this unique authority from God. And as a result, we're, we're kind of drawing the church, the congregation away from Paul and the gospel into something else toward themselves. I want Paul to defend himself. He's capable of it. I want him to use his, frankly, impressive, persuasive skills to put people in their place. Look what he does instead in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, he's reminding them what happened. He said, when I came to you, remember, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. Can you imagine this? The great Apostle Paul has come to your town and he's finally going to stand up and he's going to address all of these challengers with great rhetorical flourish. He's going to show them who's boss. Here we go. You know, and Paul steps up to the mic. And first of all, right away you're thinking, first of all, you're thinking, I thought he'd be taller. I thought he'd be taller than this. I thought he'd be more impressive looking. Okay. He must be a really good speaker, okay? But then you notice as he begins to talk, his voice is trembling. He's visibly nervous. Keeps taking sips of water. He's fumbling fumbling his notes. Uh Uh-oh, this isn't going very well. This is actually incredibly awkward. Um, You start to get secondhand embarrassment for him. This guy's kind of a loser, Instead of sharing the highlights of his exploits as an apostle, he talks about a God who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. A God who made himself, on purpose, weak and vulnerable on our our behalf. 
And then Paul just talks about his sin and his, his brokenness, his need for Jesus. And then he sits down, and you're going, what was that? So he's reflecting on this visit, and he says, you guys know that my whole strategy, actually, it wasn't even a strategy at all. I just put my weakness, I put my inadequacy on full display in order that you might see Jesus more clearly. I actually didn't want you to be impressed by me. I wanted you to see the beauty of Jesus and be drawn to him. Because when I'm weak, that's when he's strong. That's when he can do his thing through me. Again, this is every bit as counterintuitive for us today as it was in Paul's day. We are taught to hide our our weaknesses, to, to minimize or to cover up our struggles, at least our real ones, right? Not brag about them. Not like lead as your opening line. Um, Tish Harrison Warren, uh, she's an Anglican priest, and she tells the story of how years ago she was at her church for the Ash Wednesday service, which would be the time on the church calendar when we are like in tune with our weakness and brokenness. And she's up front at the end of the service, uh, kneeling along the altar, the rail, and the priest comes along and takes the ashes and makes a black smudge across on people's foreheads and says, remember, you come from dust, and to dust you shall return. And as she's kneeling there and he's going down the the rail, uh, he makes the mark in ash on uh, the forehead of this preteen girl who's kneeling next to Tish. And that happens, and Tish then overhears this girl right afterward turn to her mom and whisper, Mom. Does my ash look all right? And Tish writes, still kneeling, I started to laugh because of course it didn't look all right. She had a large black smudge in the middle of her forehead. There's no way for that to look all right. But I also laughed because I heard my own heart in her question. I know I'm limited. I bear vulnerability, weariness, and mortality. I bear sin, selfishness, and struggle. But I still want to, you know, look okay. I want to pretend I'm still all right. I have it together. Uh, It's a well-practiced facade. I'm a 10-year-old girl with a big black smudge on my face hoping to somehow pass as acceptably cool. When Paul says he delights in weakness, he doesn't mean, let me show you a few safe weaknesses so that I'm more human and appear more approachable. Uh, He doesn't say, I'm going to reveal some stuff and be a little self-deprecating so that in the end I can be more relatable and authentic and you actually love me more for it. And isn't Paul so awesome? He keeps it so real. That's not what he's doing. Paul is deeply aware of his brokenness, his need for God. Doesn't try to hide these things. He doesn't try to pretend to be better than he is. Instead, he leans into them. He puts them front and center Here's how you know you're really doing this. Apparently, it's terrifying. (laughs) He's trembling. He's afraid. Because he knows there is a reasonable chance that people seeing that will be put off and or reject him entirely and say, what a joke. But Paul is convinced because of who he knows Jesus to be that when we are at our weakest, his power can shine through most clearly. Um, Tish goes on 
kind of reflect on that experience. And uh, it's a long quote, um, but it's really good. So I'm just going to read you the whole book. Uh, (laughs) To be clear, I don't mean that God is glorified in our fashionable weakness. It's a trend now to meticulously display imperfection online. Messiness can be part of our personal brand. We don't like people who seem too put together. So many Christian leaders are sure to go out of their way to show us how messy they are. But it's all so very curated. Our truest weaknesses will never be a selling point. It's those things that the people closest to us know about us that we'd rather forget. Or perhaps that we don't even know about ourselves. It's those things we never share in a job interview and that people, we hope, won't mention in our eulogy. If sharing our imperfections makes us seem cooler and more approachable, then it's not true weakness. The things that are really wrong with us are embarrassing and uncomfortable. Sharing this part of ourselves with our community makes us more whole, but it will never help our brand. We are truly a mess, and not in a cute way, but in a sad and often humiliating way. The ashes on our forehead do not look all right. That's good, isn't it? You know, for me, the interesting thing about really this whole series or take a topic like brokenness uh, and vulnerability is it's safe to say for me that at the moment, (laughs) all of these topics feel relevant to my life. Not just relevant, uh, a little too relevant, a little too much, a little too close to home. Um, Most of you know some of what I've been through this year personally with my divorce, still hard to say out loud, and all that that brings. Um, And so I I think, I'd like to think that I'm I'm in tune often with my own failures. Um, I have have a lot of time here these days for self-reflection. I think that will probably continue for a while. But I can say it has brought me to the absolute end of myself. And even if I wanted to, I can't pretend like I have things all together. I'm a divorced pastor. I've counseled pastorally many couples in marriage facing difficulty, and I hope I've helped some of them. Couldn't save my own marriage. And that's embarrassing. It's humiliating uh, in, in many ways. And I find, myself, um, I find myself being pushed across this line of like, there's the, all right, Matt's real, he's vulnerable, and you know, that's good, whatever. That's fine. I find myself, though, being pushed against my will past that point to the, because here's where it gets a little bit different. Look away. <laughs> that point. This is a little too much. It's a little too real. And so I sort of feel like it's the emotional equivalent of people looking at me, not just my hand, but me, and going, ew. Ew. Um, And I can't control what people think about me, whether it's fair or not, and I can't control what people are saying. And, you know, I hear rumors occasionally, and it's like, immediately want to defend myself, because it because it hurts. Um, I want to power up. I want to do what Paul doesn't do. (laughs) Um, So I feel very 
uncomfortable and self-conscious. I feel exposed. I feel broken, not strong, not put together, um, not in control. And so this for me is not theoretical or abstract. It's the place where I live a lot these days. I guess, though, for me, unlike Paul, um, I'm not nearly as quick to go, when I'm weak, then, baby, then I'm strong. Now, not only do I not want to boast about my weakness, I'm fine not talking about them at all. I don't even want to talk about it. I want this stuff to be any weakness that I have. I want it to be back there in the past because I want to move on. If there was a button that I could push to make it all go away, too late, I already pushed it. I already pushed it before I even finished that sentence. I don't want it. I guess, though, to bring it back to all of us, um, what don't you want in life? If you could push that button and make it go away, that circumstance, that struggle, that weakness, let me say it a different way. What's the ash on your forehead? You're still trying to hopefully make it look cool. What's the thorn that you don't want? Maybe that awkward or embarrassing part of your story. Um, a place of failure, a place of pain. Do you know that in the place of admitting your weakness, that God actually longs to dwell with you. That in that, not in spite of that, in that he is inviting you to rest in his grace, in his power. Um, he's inviting you to put the, the whole weight of your being onto him. God meets us in our brokenness. I'm starting to think, and I'll come back to this maybe some other time, could it be that Brokenness is the only place that he meets us. In Isaiah 57, uh, it says, For this is what the high and exalted one says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. And that's where I'd expect God who is eternal to live, in some high and holy place. But God apparently also lives somewhere else. So he has two addresses. But also, I also live with the one who is contrite, lowly in spirit. Jesus borrows from that, the poor in spirit, right? To revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. He lives with those who have a humble, contrite spirit. And by the way, this word contrite, Get ready to not like something. Uh, in the Old Testament, that word shows up in Hebrew in different places, and there are several other places where that same word gets translated pulverized, like, like the crushing of rocks. So brokenness is not just, oh, you know, I've made some mistakes, nobody's perfect, or I have some regrets, or I'm a mess. No. One scholar that, that I read, one scholar's definition of brokenness of contrition is voluntary heartbreak. 
It's a willingness to be shattered, to be undone. When we talk about brokenness and vulnerability before God, what we're talking about is being deeply aware, in tune, in touch with our desperate need for God. We're talking about standing before God naked as you are and saying, God, here's my sin. Here's the whole truth about me. Here's my brokenness. And then also to like reveal that to him, to others. But I love this. To what kind of person does God draw near? What kind of person does he rescue and deliver? He shows up on behalf of those who have a broken, uh, contrite spirit. Nancy Lee DeMoss, in her book on brokenness, she defines it this way. Brokenness is not a feeling or an emotion. Rather, it requires a choice, an act of the will. Further, this choice is not primarily a one-time experience. Wish it was. Though there may be profound and life-changing spiritual turning points in our lives, true brokenness is an ongoing, constant way of life. True brokenness is a lifestyle, a moment-by-moment lifestyle of agreeing with God about the true condition of my heart and life, not as everyone else thinks it is, but as he knows it to be. See, what we think of as our biggest liability, according to the economy of God's kingdom, weakness is our biggest asset. We don't want brokenness. We often, I actively resist it. But it's the very thing where God uses to bring us to a place where we can receive life from him. As Paul says, it's the place where maybe for the first time God's presence and power becomes real. Or as Jesus says, he lo- God loves to revive the hearts of the spiritually poor. People who reach out because they know their need and they don't have any other options. It's not that these people are pathetic. It's that they're the only ones who see things as they actually are. And God responds. Uh, I want to clarify one thing. Um, We talk about brokenness and it's like, boy, this is heavy and this is... It is not the same thing as going around, I guess I got to go around and say, woe is me to everybody and head down ashamed and kind of beat myself up. How are you doing today? How, you know, I'm a worm. Like, that's, not, that's not what this is. It's not saying I have scoured every hidden corner of my life to identify sin, but I'm sure there's still, it's somewhere hidden in there and I'll get it. Um, I actually think that's making it way too much about you. And it kind of creeps toward false humility. Um, Paul, with no hint of shame, head is not down, right? He's not beating himself up um, at all. Do you know Paul talks about rejoicing and joy more than like anybody else? It's amazing. He talks about being at peace. He talks about freedom a lot. Um, And so... You can be broken and still have joy and and have fun and laugh. And I would argue more so because you're freed up. Because you're you're able to see as God sees. um, To see yourself in that light. That you actually believe when Jesus says, my grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. I want to move into um, communion. And I... I'd love us to create a little bit of space here uh, to reflect.
James 4 says this. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. That is, ladies and gentlemen, the gospel. Notice, it's not our sin that gets in the way of God working in our brokenness. Our brokenness isn't the issue. It's our arrogance and pride that gets in the way of God working in our life. I mean, Scripture is story after story of people, broken people, who've been put together by God. It's Jesus going, you don't have to put yourself, all you have to do is humble yourself. I'll put you back together. Sin doesn't get in the way, pride does. I love how um, Tim Keller puts it. He says, to be loved but not known is, is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. There's something about communion and coming to the table in this, in this moment as a community that I think really beautifully captures what we're talking about. Being okay with our brokenness. We're not all right. The ashes on our forehead do not look cool. Being known for our brokenness. Um, did you know that to be vulnerable means to be woundable? Yeah, you're, you're able to be wounded. How does this affect our posture in relationships? And it raises all kinds of fears. God, I might look weak. And God's going, uh-huh. Well, uh, I, might, I might experience rejection. And Jesus goes, huh. yeah, you might. But to be known and loved by God, to experience that and then frees us up to extend the same to one another. I want to invite Nathan, you can come on back up, and we have um, stations around the room, a couple here in the front, and one in each corner, I believe, and if the communion servers would like to come forward, too. Think about what we say in communion. This is the body of Christ. What's the next word? Broken for you. That Jesus, Jesus, God himself, made himself vulnerable and woundable. As we come to the table, I'd like us just to, maybe just to ask, um, God, is there something that you want me to be vulnerable with you? Like, when's the last time, I'm asking myself, when's the last time I came before God in that kind of afraid, trembling, and the invitation is to come to the table? And the crazy thing about it is, if you think about who we're meeting, um, it's the safest place in the universe. It's safe. You're not going to be wounded by him. Other people, perhaps, but not by Jesus. And so we can be open and honest with our, our need and our struggle before God. Um, I think one of the things that's uh, kind of occurred to me a lot in this season when Paul says my grace when God says to Paul my grace is sufficient I feel like I've experienced that in deeper ways and 
maybe one of the side benefits of, of all this, of, of brokenness or being in a place, again, I'm not a hero. I don't want it. I don't want it. Um, but when I experience his grace, when I experience his power, guess what? I know for sure it's not me. It has nothing to do with me. And so I've experienced his presence, like Paul says. I think to a significant degree, I've experienced his presence um, through you. There are many, many of you in this room that it's, it's been a way that God has made his grace and his power tangible in my life. Tish says this, and she's talking about people who choose to embrace their brokenness, who choose to embrace weakness. She says, in the process, in the process of that, they have become beautifully weak, not tough as nails, not bitter or rigid, but men and women who bear vulnerability with joy and trust. They are almost luminescent, like a paper lantern, weak enough that the light shines through. What can you bring to God at the table this morning? Where can you invite him in to your need, your brokenness, your weakness? I trust that you'll meet him, uh, meet him there. Would you, would you pray with me and then we'll open up the, uh, the table. Heavenly Father, um, I pray that you would help us to just to create some space right now. Um, it's so easy to want to just move past this or to kind of rush on to the next thing. And maybe you're inviting us to sit in some brokenness in our lives, some need, an area of weakness, a struggle. And we probably know we're on the right track if it's embarrassing or we're ashamed or we don't want to face that. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to humble ourselves before you, to bring that to you, to stand before you as we are. Thank you that you're safe that you made yourself woundable and suffered so that we could have this moment, that you could meet us in this time. I pray that we would discover that your grace is sufficient, that your power is, is made perfect in our weakness. This is how you're revealed to the world through us. May we experience that more deeply this morning. Thank you for grace. Thank you for uh, forgiveness, for renewing our hearts, for, and this is a, it's a, such a journey sometimes, but for putting us back together piece by piece, one day at a time. Would you lift us up as we humble ourselves before you? In Jesus' name, amen.